Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cancer Now What podcast brought to you by Arizona Center for Cancer Care. My name is Jenny, and I am very excited to have a conversation today with three physicians in our community who are uh, dedicated to helping people go through a neuro-oncology cancer journey. We have Dr. Chris Biggs, who's a radiation oncologist with Arizona Center for Cancer Care. We have Dr. John Wanabo, who is a neurosurgeon with Barrow Brain and Spine. And we have Dr. Amir Azadi, who is a neuro-oncologist. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Glad to be here. Of course. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for here. having us. Yes, of course. So May is Neuro-Oncology Awareness Month, right? We're talking brain cancer. And we always have the intent on this show of making sure that we bring in physicians in our community who can really articulate to our community what it means to be diagnosed with any type of cancer, specifically brain cancer, which is a, a pretty scary one when you're, when you're <clears throat> thinking about it. So I'm so appreciative that you could all be here, and I'm hoping we can just have a very open dialogue about what a patient goes through when they're diagnosed with brain cancer. So I will start with you, Dr. Biggs. Can you um, tell me a little bit about yourself, your radiation oncologist, how do you fit into the um, brain cancer treatment planning process? Well, um it's a whole ecosystem and uh, part of um, the way I explain it to patients is you're really going to see three you know the three specialties and we're all represented here today uh, usually you see neurosurgery first um, and then uh, radiation oncology or radiation therapy is a very common component of treating both benign and malignant brain tumors and then uh, medical oncology or or the use of drugs and chemotherapy uh, is a very important adjunct to the treatment of, of these tumors as well. So almost inevitably, anybody who gets any kind of brain tumor or spine, spinal cord tumor will see probably all three of us during the course of their treatment. Got it. So it's a very integrated team. <clears throat> From the standpoint of radiation oncology, which is what I do, is uh, we use radiation beams, normally from a linear accelerator uh, in one of our clinics here in town, uh, and we focus those beams of radiation on the tumors and uh, either try to kill them completely or uh, delay the growth in the case of very malignant tumors. Uh, and it's quite effective. It works very well. Very cool. We'll dig in more on that in just a minute. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wanabo, neurosurgeon. So what is your role in this whole brain cancer thing? I'm, I'm assuming it has something to do with cutting. I'm a nuts and bolts guy. <laughs> um, it, you know, a lot, m many patients who have a brain tumor present to a neurosurgeon because they um, either, because primarily they'll present with uh, neurological symptoms, either weakness or numbness or speech trouble. And so they'll go to the emergency room or the regular physician for that, and they'll have an MRI of the brain obtained, and then we'll find a mass in the brain. And, it, um, and then we frequently get called to help evaluate and treat that. And, and frequently that ends up being, you know, um, some sort of biopsy to figure out what this lesion is. Um, some of the patients, you have a reasonable idea if they have a prior history of cancer, 
that'd be uh, one of the three types of brain tumors that we typically see, a metastatic tumor that came from somewhere else in the body um, and spread to the brain. Uh, and the other two types we see are intrinsic brain tumors, tumors that come from the brain tissue itself, gliomas, the classic one is the glioblastoma. And then the third common type we see is a benign brain mass called a meningioma, um, which uh, can give you symptoms and often needs surgery to resect. So, um, you know, as Dr. Biggs alluded to, we, um, you know, we work as a team and uh, typically we, you know, we all, we see these kind of patients on a intermittent basis and have repeat imaging and, you know, figure out what the next step is. But usually the first step is some sort of biopsy or resection. Biopsy just means you take out some of the tumor and, and test the tissue. Frequently, you'll go ahead and take out the whole lesion at the same time because it usually involves them being put to sleep and having, having a surgery. Okay, so it sounds like if somebody has symptoms or their primary care doctor is worried about something, you're the first call. Or in, the ER, maybe um, even. In, in yeah. many cases, that's, that's okay. the case. Okay. A patient will go to the emergency room or see the regular physician, and they'll have an MRI or CAT scan, and then I'll get a call if, okay. if I'm on call or okay. taking those calls. And then you decide at that point if you want to biopsy, take the whole thing out, what you want to do from there. Right, yeah, evaluate okay. the patient and the, the circumstances and figure out what the next step is. Okay. And then sometimes after surgery, radiation can play a role, but sometimes medical oncology gets called. So Dr. Azadi, tell us when you are the person that, that comes into the picture and how do you medically treat these patients? Yes, thank you for having me for this great conversation. So uh, what I love about neuro-oncology, this is a basically a field in oncology that requires multidisciplinary team approach. I'm so grateful to be a part of this team. As I said, um, multidisciplinary, meaning neurosurgery, radiation oncology, neuropathology, and neuroradiology, we are all involved in the care of the patients. <clears throat> and my role in this, um, basically, field is the chemotherapy part of uh, treatment for many of these disease involved <clears throat> in this category of, um, basically, pathology, including high-grade primary brain tumor or secondary brain tumors uh, that travels from somewhere else in the body and metastasize to the brain or the spine. Got it. So we've got the person who does whatever he can to cut it out. We've got the person who zaps whatever's left. And we've got the person who treats with medicine to help everything else, basically. Right. Is, is, I mean, in layman's terms, like that's kind of what you guys are saying? Yeah? Did I miss anything? Right. No, it doesn't sound like I went to medical school, does it? No. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a, it's a great description. And um, uh, there's many kind of subtleties and gray areas in between. You know, for example, there's occasionally tumors at the base of the skull or near the brainstem, for example, that, that um, can be treated with very high-dose focused radiation called radiosurgery. And um, interestingly, it's one of the first fields where a neurosurgeon and a radiation oncologist uh, learned to work literally side by side wow. um, at various radiosurgery types of uh, machines. A um, machine called the Gamma Knife works quite well. Linear accelerator-based radiosurgery works very well. But we actually sit down and delineate the tumor volume and decide together what kind of dose that should receive. 
Um, and, uh, and, and it's a really uh, interesting, fun uh, collaboration because you get to learn, we, we all, you see these three specialties, they're all three branches, very different branches of medicine. One is very surgical based, one is based in internal medicine, and myself is based in radiology. So we really spend a lot of time apart from each other uh, during our training, and we're trained very differently. So to be able to come together, we kind of learn from each other. Um, and, uh, and it's really great for the patients because when do you have a bunch of doctors all sitting around for hours looking, looking at your case and trying to figure out what the best way to treat you is, it, it tends to work out very well. Okay. Yeah. So when you say that you're together, are you together in the operating room at the patient's bedside? For radio surgery, it has the word surgery in it, right. but it's really just very high dose focused radiation. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not really an operating room, but it is a dosimetry room where we sit down and look at the images of the tumor, usually an MRI scan, maybe combined with a CT scan. And we say, you know, where is this located? Is it close to something particularly delicate or um, particularly sensitive to radiation? For example, the optic nerve. Mm. Uh, you, you can have a meningioma, like Dr. Wanabo said, that, that might be very close to the optic nerve. You want to be quite careful about what dose that structure receives so you both decide what, what you think is safe in that circumstance. So it's not really the operating room. Although we do see each other in the operating room because uh, there's a, it's probably worth saying, there's a somewhat new treatment called the gamma tile, uh, where uh, the surgeon takes out a tumor, for example, and places radioactive uh, seeds into wow. the cavity where the tumor was to place, wow. and that keeps the radiation very localized. And in that case, uh, we do meet in the operating room. For That's the amazing. Of the yeah. Wow. So you guys really are working together. Side by side. That's right. In that case, we do for, for this treatment he mentioned called brachytherapy. It's kind of an old treatment, and in select patients, it makes sense, uh, particularly patients who've had prior radiation where you can give a additional radiation uh, at the time of a surgery. Okay. And to add what Dr. Biggs was discussing, uh, when alluded to earlier, uh, radio surgery, um, those are lesions which you can treat with um, a bunch of beams focused on one spot in the brain where the tumor is. And sometimes those cases, or many times those cases are done without a biopsy where you um, don't need a new biopsy. You might know what the diagnosis is from another mechanism or based on how it looks on the MRI or CAT scan. And so um, that is a type of le um, a case where sometimes there's no biopsy, just, just radiation okay. and or chemotherapy. Okay. So you're all talking about it, and you're all figuring out together what's best because not all brain tumors are created equal, basically, is what I'm hearing, right? Right, exactly. I mean, I would say, I mean, we are all together at the journey of treatment for these patients. So I mean, we might not be physically <laughs> next to each other, but we all talk about the uh, pathology and diagnosis and what's the best order of treatment. Sometimes we do radiation first. Sometimes um, surgical resection might need to be done first is sometimes all together, re surgical resection plus radiation with gamma tile and um, chemo afterward, or sometimes we do chemo and then uh, we change the order of the treatment. So we all basically all together in this journey for the patient to discuss and get the best options of treatment for the patients and get the best outcome. The team sport. Right. It's a team sport. So let me ask you this, and I'll stay with you here, Dr. Azadi, if you don't mind. Sure. 
we see lots of different logos. We right. all work in different offices, right? How do you communicate with one another? What what are you texting each other? Is is are you calling each other on the phone? I know that I've heard tumor boards are a thing. Right. Can, how how do we how do we make sure that we're staying in communication for the patients? I mean, there are different ways that we do. I mean, as you mentioned, we do have the tumor boards. We have the tumor board discussion. We have the multidisciplinary clinic discussions. And always, I mean, if there is something in between these meetings that we have a schedule, we all call and talk to each other. Okay. So you're, you're just talking all the time, right? basically, when you have patients that you share. Yeah, many of these patients, I mentioned there's three basic types. The metastatic tumors are primary malignant brain tumors, and the meningiomas is a broad, you know, rough description. But, you know, they all get serial imaging on a regular basis, and the benign tumor meningioma is typically once a year, regardless of their treatment. Um, but then the more aggressive tumors, either the metastatic tumors or the primary brain tumors, typically get imaging every three months. And when a patient gets a new MRI, you know, we all essentially patient will make the rounds, you know, between the three disciplines here, and we review their new MRI, see if there's any changes, and talk about what the potential options are. And typically, everything's always on the table, and you just figure out what makes most sense. Okay, got it. Can you, Dr. Biggs, tell me a little bit about the difference between a benign and a malignant brain tumor? Um, I think that, you know, those are very powerful words that when people hear them, they definitely jump to conclusions one way or the other. Um, can you break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, they are very, very different things. And um, benign brain tumors are not very common, but they're, but they're not exactly all that rare either. So a lot of people get them. Um, there are some inheritable conditions um, that will increase the likelihood of you getting benign brain tumors or tumors along the uh, surface of the brain. Um, and we try to identify those people who have those conditions so that we can um, watch them very closely. But benign tumors um, uh, come in a, in a couple different varieties. Um, the most common is a meningioma, which occurs usually on the surface of the brain in the uh, layers of the membranes. And, um, and it's just, um, if it's very superficial and reasonably small, if the neurosurgeon can take it out um, without leaving any behind, then they're done. And really that tumor rarely causes damage to the brain or to the nerves. Um, if, it's in a, if it's in a kind of a common location, it's, it's when they're in uncommon locations or if, or if they kind of silently grow a little bit too big um, where you can start to see uh, more difficulty for, for people. But the benign tumors are mostly curable, not all the time. Sometimes they are, they are persistent. Um, but most of the time they can be cured. Uh, the people's neurologic function usually comes back to normal or close to normal, and it's a great prognosis. So in the world of oncology, we love treating the benign tumors because it's, it's usually good news. And, uh, and then you get scans and you can tell people it all looks great and send them back home. So that's, that's a really nice uh, part of your day. The, the malignant brain tumors are a very different class and they're an extremely difficult problem to solve. Um, the most common one is a glioblastoma, as Dr. Uh, Wanabo alluded to. And we do our best to take as much out as, as you can and leave the uh, uh, person functional. 
um, and then they receive radiation and chemotherapy. And that's where I think I get a little jealous of Dr. Azadi because the future of how to treat malignant uh, tumors uh, is really in the different biologic agents, different kind of chemotherapy agents that will come in the future and that are in the development line right now. So he's really the future. We've worked out radiation and surgery, which are very procedural type things, pretty well. But he's got all the creativity coming down the line. Well, let's hear all about that, Dr. Azadi. <laughs> right. Tell yeah. us all the secrets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, specifically during the last five years, um, there has been a lot uh, going on in the field of the neuro-oncology. In terms of the trials, there are hundreds of trials going on around the nation and um, in the world regarding the new types of treatment for uh, high-grade and um, some of the low-grade brain tumor. Uh, talking about the primary brain, I mean, there's a lot going on for secondary or brain metastasis as well, but uh, we are very excited to know, specifically after <clears throat> our grading system in 2021 changed uh, uh, basically grading uh, or uh, basically categorizing these type of tumors uh, based on the uh, genetic of the brain uh, or tumor cells and how to treat them and how to basically face those uh, type of tumor based on the genetics and um, regarding to that advance in diagnosis, the targeted treatment and immunotherapy uh, at clinical trials um, as a single agent or in combination going forward. And we are very excited to see more results regarding those clinical trials Amazing. in the future. Wow, so cool. And, and you're right here in Phoenix and we can get it in yeah. our own backyard. That's exactly. amazing. Wonderful. Exactly. You, and I mean, I think that that's really important to mention, too, because a lot of times people get, um, especially, you know, the primary brain tumor, and they think I have to, you know, go to Minnesota or New York or wherever, right. but they don't. We've got this treatment right here, and, and clinical trials are available here, and right. the cutting-edge treatments are right here in Phoenix, which is amazing. That's amazing. I, exactly. I mean... For specifically GBM or glioblastoma, as Dr. Biggs and Dr. Wannabaum mentioned, I mean, this is one of the uh, disease that standard care, unfortunately, is not a very good outcome in terms of the survival. And in our guideline, clinical trials actually is superior to the standard wow, care to be offered. So we are very excited to have clinical trials for those patients and get a better outcome for them. That's amazing. Very excited to hear, hear more about that for sure. So let me ask you this, Dr. Wanabo. What are some of the signs and symptoms that people have when they're suspected of having a brain tumor? You know, um, typically it's a new neurological symptom, as in um, either numbness or weakness or speech trouble, sometimes vision trouble. Those would be the most common ones. You know, um, you know the, the brain is like real estate. It's all about location, location, location. And so um, a small lesion or small tumor in a bad location can give you a lot of symptoms when it's small, um, whereas there are silent parts of the brain and, and it's not a, so good location, and it's, but a tumor would get very large to make you symptomatic in a good location. Um, but, but as I mentioned, speech trouble, weakness or numbness or vision trouble would be the biggest uh, symptoms that they might have. Sometimes headaches. 
So, new headaches that they had not had in the past. Got it. So like a chronic migraine person, it's not likely a tumor. No, They've had them it would be a new, a new yeah. headache okay. that had not been an issue before. Got it. So when we're talking about cancer and when we talk about other types of cancers, we always talk about prevention. Are there things that we can do to prevent? I mean, is it like with lung cancer? Don't smoke. Obviously, that's probably good advice for any type of cancer to avoid. But are there things specific to brain cancer? Um, I'll, I'll defer to my colleagues here in a second. But, you know, don't don't smoke, <clears throat> eat healthy, exercise, um, you know, use sunscreen. Those those are some of the key things to do. Yeah, we're definitely getting the same message from all of the different uh oncology specialist and, and it doesn't matter what the um type of cancer is yeah i'm it's not sure if dr biggs or azadi have any thoughts about cell phone use oh or, that's a great point um, i think that's AirPods. still un unclear right exactly i that's mean that's a great point uh, there has been some studies to uh basically focus in that specific matter if the cell phone those uh basically um sono waves has any impact in producing um, brain tumor or not, but they, um, they ha I would say there is no clear cut or um, like right answer, uh, yes or no, but definitely I would suggest just um, not overuse mm -hmm. <laughs> cell phone. Um, but um, so far, um, we don't know exactly what's the right answer. You are always reading studies, sir. Anything in the cell phone space you can share? Um, it, it's a. I, I find it a little um, entertaining because um, there's been so many uh, trials that have conflicting results, and and if it were a big effect, of course we would know it. Um, so if the if there is an effect with cell phones, it's very small. But the reason I was saying is I'm, I'm a little amused is because I don't think people hold their cell phones to their ear anymore. Um, they either put it on speakerphone or on their car or they're texting. And of course, if you're not holding it up to your head, then the risk is, is uh, you know, there is no risk. Uh, what about the ear pods, though, or AirPods? What are they called? The things that people are putting directly in their ears? Could that be a thing? The the only kind of radiation that uh, that cell phones and, and those kinds of uh, devices give off is radio waves, <laughs> so microwaves actually, and they are capable of warming your tissues. So if there is a mechanism, it, it's not ionizing radiation. Ionizing radiation is what we give for treatment. It damages the DNA of cells, and it kills cancer cells quite effectively. Um, but the type of radiation given off by cell phones is a much longer wavelength, and it doesn't hurt the DNA or the genetics of the cells at all. But it can um, uh, increase blood flow because the temperature of the area will go up a little bit. So if there is any kind of very mild effect on the brain, it might be that area of the brain gets slightly warmer while your phone is held up to your ear. And does increased blood flow somehow correlate very weakly with potentially a growing cancer? Um, again, it, it's looking like probably <laughs> not. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, the, it seems like every five years another study comes out contradicting the last one. Yes. So if it, were, like if it were big, we would know. For sure. For sure. Good. Well, that's super helpful. So I want to ask you all, based on your different specialties, um, the kind of side effects that patients can expect after treating with each of you. Um, you know, people, when, it, you know, we're talking about 
brain tumors, they're going to be thinking, you know, am I going to have my verbal function when I'm done with this? Or am I going to lose my hair? Or, you know, what are the effects going to be? So Dr. Azadi, I'll start with you. Right. So uh, specifically in my field, in terms of the chemotherapy agents, we have the term of chemotherapy brain or chemo fog, as you name it. So patients might feel uh, tired, fatigued, so not uh, thinking clearly during the course of treatment, which usually after the treatment is done, they, um, they might have uh, basically recovery from that, but it takes time. But definitely we have to uh, basically focus, specifically ask the patient to make sure they are doing okay on the chemotherapy, they can tolerate the chemotherapy, they don't have over um, basically side effects from the treatment that we uh, get. Specifically in our field, neuro-oncology, we don't want to uh, basically cause more damage or problem in terms of the cognitive function for the patient beside the tumor and um, um, other treatment modalities that they have uh, from these issues. Okay. And from surgery, brain surgery, what are some of the side effect concerns that patients have before they're in the OR with you? Right. I mean, the biggest concern is that you could become worse neurologically you know, not uncommonly, if a patient has a brain tumor that needs surgery, they'll have symptoms and may already have a neurological deficit or as in being weak or having some trouble with their vision or speech. Um, but um, we're fortunate these days that technology has made our, our lives and our work a lot re more refined and easier. And being able to use MRI scans in surgery help us, you know, plan our trajectory um, to a tumor and w working around it. Uh, and we try to resect uh, a tumor um, safely, so maximum safe side of reduction. So we always go into surgeries when we do them as to not cause any additional deficit and then take out what we can safely. You know, ideally we can get everything. Um, and uh, for malignant tumors, that the more you get, the better in general. But you never want to compr compromise neurological function. And, you know, we're we understand enough about the anatomy and have enough technology where we can do that in most cases where we can keep people from getting getting worse neurologically. Great. So usually they can come in like they go out, or that that's our goal, that's not always, yeah. Good. And we try to minimize shaving hair um, as well. Um, so it just makes it a little nicer, especially for women. So you just have like a little patch and you can hide that with the rest of your hair based yeah, on where you yeah, cut? Yeah, just a little linear, um, uh, incis um, like a part little yeah a little part essentially oh, that's yeah. really good I'm sure people appreciate that well done sir <laughs> Dr. Biggs what kind of side effects do uh, people have from radiation when it comes to brain tumors well <clears throat> um, here's kind of a miraculous story and, and that is that with the um, kind of <clears throat> the progress made with imaging and with computing power uh, with MRI scans and with the way that our ma radiation machines are controlled, um, um, the radiation is given super precisely, like to within millimeters. And, um, and that's not the way it was, um, you know, many years ago. Uh, in fact, for uh, secondary brain t tumors like uh, metastases from lung cancer, melanoma, or something like that, we used to give radiation to the entire brain, and it would cause a lot of side effects for people. Mm. And I think, you know, there's kind of a collective memory that radiation was not good for the brain. But 
with the new techniques, really, we give such precise radiation to those tumors that, that we actually rarely see a cognitive uh, problem. You can, especially if there are a large number of tumors, or there are very specific cases where the tumors may have spread across the whole surface of the brain or throughout the brain, where we do need to treat a larger area. But even in that case, we've learned now, for example, how to spare the memory area called the hippocampus of the brain. And we give a type of radiation called hippocampal sparing radiation, which leaves the memory part of the brain alone hmm. and will make the cognitive abilities of the patient be much, much better afterwards. So uh, it's part of why I went into radiation oncology when I did. Uh, that's when this explosion in technology was happening. And, and it's, it's just been really... Uh, great for patients um, in terms of the side effects. Well, it sounds like there are definitely advances in all three of your fields that patients with this type of cancer can definitely access when they see you. And, and it sounds like we've made a lot of progress in the neuro-oncology space. So that's really encouraging. And there's one thing we haven't really mentioned is molecular profiling. When we uh, test these tumors, you know, we do a molecular profile of the of the tissue and it allows us to look for markers and see what particular treatments especially for Dr. Rosati that that might work the best. So it's like a targeted type of therapy. It right. can be. Yeah. Exactly. I mean we uh, we do test for the next gene sequencing of the tumor to know better regarding the basically molecular profiling of the tumor and how they behave and that actually supports a better diagnosis of the tumor and better and more precise treatment for each individual uh, type of tumor. And as I said, I mean, there's a lot of clinical trials going on in neuro-oncology as we had advances in breast cancer, lung cancer, melanoma, and other uh, fields of oncology. Hopefully we can uh, do better for the neuro-oncology patient too. I mean, although there is some basically uh, bombs uh, on the road for us, including the blood-brain barrier that we have difficulties to uh, introduce those medication or targeted treatment or immunotherapy to uh, CNS system, including brain and spine. But with uh, all the advances in the science, now we have uh, better methods of delivery of those medication, and hopefully we, uh, we can get better response and better outcome in terms of treatment. I'm glad you brought that up because um, a lot of people don't understand the blood-brain barrier. Can you t explain a little bit about that mm -hmm. and how that affects the, um, the, the, the effectiveness of the medicine? Right, so basically blood-brain barrier is basically a tool to protect our nervous system from anything outside to the brain. So it actually it protects our nervous system, but on the other hand, when uh, we are um, trying to get medication to the uh, nervous system that makes it more difficult because uh, the, the pores are very th small. So uh, some of these medications that we have available to treat the cancer, there are large molecules, so we cannot uh, pass the blood-brain barrier and have a result. So, uh, so that um, basically uh, is the problem to treat or makes the um, treatment for uh, brain tumor harder compared to other fields of oncology. Because the body is naturally protecting the brain exactly. from letting bad things in, exactly. or anything in, if you right. will, right. and you need to get in to kill exactly. the cancer. So there is a, a lot of trials, including uh, delivery of the drug or increase the 
basically penetration of the medication to the brain tissue by um, uh, sono uh, waves or uh, uh, thermal interstitial laser devices or um, um, other modalities to basically uh, introduce the medication to the brain. And are tissue. these relatively new um, ways of getting through the blood-brain barrier? I mean, has it been just, you know, just sorry, you can't do it, like, up until now? No, they are in uh, trials currently, but uh, we are definitely hearing more advances and more, um, basically, uh, progress in those fields. So it sounds like we're getting to a game changer here for, exactly. for brain cancer. Exactly. That's amazing. Well, I'm so excited to hear how you all work together to, to do that. So I have one more question for everybody. This is a question I ask everybody um, just to get a little bit of uh, humanity from our physicians. Um, I'll start with you, Dr. Biggs. Um, tell me why you got into oncology. Why radiation oncology and, and why um, treating brain cancer <clears throat> is important to you? Yeah, I, sometimes I tell my patients, I, I know this may sound a little weird, but I, I love treating people with, with brain tumors. Uh, um, they need my help, um, and um, I enjoy interacting with them. Um, I find them to be you know, interesting and engaging, and, um, and, I, and I just enjoy meeting them and, and, and going down the road with them and doing... Hopefully, if we can do something curative, that's great. If they can't, I like being there to help them out, and I enjoy it. I just don't don't know how else to say it. Some people might think that's a little weird, but <laughs> you want a doctor who enjoys their patients, and uh, yeah. and I've always enjoyed that. So um, that's that's why I do what it's I do. Called compassion. That's <laughs> the you. word for it. Thank you, Doctor Wanabo. Why neurosurgery, and and what is it about brain tumors that has interests you and and gotten you into your field? Well, you know, I, I, I guess I was attracted to neurosurgery just because it's, uh, the brain is very fascinating and um, how it works um, and if there's a way to help people with brain issues, I, I thought that would be very exciting work. Um, and my father was a surgical oncologist and so I think I always admired his ability to help people with cancer. So um, I guess I put the two together a little bit. That's amazing. Very good, very good. And Dr. Azadi, neuro-oncology, tell us why. I mean, this is a fascinating field for me in terms of the, um, um, the field of oncology. So I, I think uh, we are in the era that there's a lot of advances in terms of the, uh, in the field of the neuro-oncology going on, and that's very exciting. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can be involved to help those patients, and hopefully uh, uh, we can fight this um, basically monster disease at some point. Amazing, wonderful. Well, all very good answers, thank you. Dr. Azadi, Dr. Wanabo, Dr. Biggs, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Arizona Center for Cancer Care, Cancer Now What? vodcast. Uh, if you would like more information on Dr. Azadi or Dr. Biggs, you can visit www.arizonaccc.com. If you'd like more information on Dr. Wanabo, you can visit barrowbrainandspine.org. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.